Welcome to the Folk University Radio Show. Every week, Cortez's local learning lab, Folk University, hosts Folk U Friday Talks, where islanders share something they know with other islanders, and no one ever graduates. I've got ways to save the world, mixed with things to say to girls. I got the wrong words, stupid songs, stuck in loops that go on and on. It's embarrassing. So welcome. Um, when I mention to people on the island that I'm interested in economics and it's so exciting, I get sort of a blank look sometimes. Um, so I thought I'd start with like, why economics? Why, why, why would I be interested in this? Why would you be interested in this? Why would you be listening to, to this? Um, and start with a little bit of my background. Um, first, I'd say that I'm not an expert. I'm more of an explorer on this. So I'm here to, to share what I've been thinking about, some, some facts and figures that I've dug up, some ideas about how we can think about economics on Cortez, and to hear from you and that we can have a, a conversation about it and that we can use this kind of event to kickstart a conversation on the island about a very holistic vision of what economics can mean. Um, so I started with Eli, who's here, luckily. Um, my first business, I think when we were, I was nine, and we were carving little wooden boats out of hunks of firewood and selling them at the local market. Um, very, flu very few of them sold. Um, some of them didn't even float. It was not really a raging business success, but it, it, it hooked us. And after that, we went through a series of probably five or six different businesses. Um, we ran a, a, a rock wall building business in Nelson, BC. We started a a value-added wood products business. Um, we called it Climax Creek Woodworks, and we would do things like slicing cedar branches on a little homemade um, jigsaw contraption. And, and we went to the West Kootenai Value-Added Wood Forum a couple of years and, and won a bunch of awards, which, which, which inflated our, our homeschooler pride to, to a completely uh, unreasonable degree. Um, and, then, and then we came to Cortez. I was involved in a bunch of publishing and uh, nonprofit educational publishing stuff, which gave me a, a totally different perspective on what's going on in the world and how it relates to what we choose to do with our lives. And then I started, again with Eli, a, um, a web development and programming business that sort of morphed into programming and tech consulting. Um, and I've been running that for the last 10 years or so, as well as being involved in a bunch of other volunteer projects. Um, off-island and here on Cortez, starting with the, was on the board of the Harbor Authority way, way back, and then I was involved with committees around the co-op. Um, I was on the board of the Cortez Children's Forest Trust for many years, and I'm now on the board of the newly rechristened Cortez Community Economic Development Association, or CEDA for a, for a slightly less intimidating mouthful. Um, and it's an odd trajectory because I was never interested in economics per se. But what I came to see as I was involved in a lot of different projects and was thinking about you know, how do we as humans in the place where we're living, in the context that we, that we exist in, um, act in a way that is in right relation to each other and to the natural world um, and to ourselves. And what I, what I noticed was that all of the, a lot of the, the activist or artistic or 
or the efforts that are aiming to 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 uh, evolve or enlighten or improve the way that that we live wrap back to economics because if we can't if we can't deal with the basics of our livelihoods and and the way that we relate to the physical world through what we're what we're doing for livelihood and what we're eating and what we're wearing and what we're driving in um, then the other efforts to do better are sort of uh, lacking a solid foundation so that brought me back to economics and on Cortez I think it's really important because we have we I think Cortez has ideals pretty high ideals um, and we have a kind of a culture that that embraces those ideals but if we're not looking more closely at the foundations of what that means in terms of livelihoods and in terms of economic flows, those ideals sort of uh, lack reality. So that's the conclusion that I came to. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping I can bring some of you along towards that conclusion of being excited about economics through the course of the next few minutes. And then we can, we can talk about where we can go from there. So what I'd like to go through is a little bit of a arc, um, starting from some some kind of fundamentals of not so much how economics is, economics is, the word is used in, in conventional conversation, but what, what does it really mean at the root? And how can we interpret that for Cortez? What's the global picture? And that's enormously complex and not gonna go into much detail, but particularly how does that global how does the global economy and the global economic situation and the relationship to the planet affect us? How does it relate to life on Cortez? And, and how, can we, how can we act in relation to that to create the kind of island that we want to live in and then approaches to thriving? What are the concrete things that we can do um, individually and collectively to move towards where we would like to be as, a, as an island um, economically? and otherwise, but economically in the bigger sense of, of economics. So economics is, is a word that you know, doesn't conjure up a lot of excitement in most circles. Um, it, it kind of often means old white guys in suits who are, who are using a lot of quite abstract language and equations to measure and report on things that seem to have limited relevance to real life depending on what your real life looks like. But a place like Cortez is pretty distant, in most cases, from um, stock indices and, and GDP numbers and so forth. We sort of get, the, we sort of get the, the end of the whiplash of the global economy as it's doing, doing things. Um, but the relationship to what folks like Alan Greenspan like to think about and talk about is, is I think, tenuous at best. Um, so that is one reason why, it, you know, Economics is boring, right? And it's boring because the relationship to our lives isn't clear, um, and or doesn't make sense. Like it's a it's a world that that is that is odd. So so this is not what we're here to talk about. Um, and there are several reasons why. But I think I'll start with the the root of the word economy, which, like any good pedantic person, I like word roots. Um, and it's from Greek, it means basically management of a household. And I think this is a really good way to look at economy because a household is, is, is a system that has all kinds of flows in it. 
and it's not specifically about money. Um, and we can, we can scale this idea of a household from a house, what is it, like a physical household, management of physical household, to a planet. What is, if we were to take the analogy of a household, household care of a household or management of a household and look at an entire planet, what would that mean in terms of economics and in terms of what we would need to be focusing on to care for a planetary household well? Or we can look at the scale of an island, which is, I think, where we need to be going. Is what, if we consider Cortez like a household and the economy, the economic management of Cortez is the management of the household of the island, what does that tell us for, for how we should be orienting our, our economic activities? So one of the things that is kind of primary with economics, whether we're talking about the version of economics that, that, that you find on the news or household management, is that you have stocks and flows. You have stocks, which are how much you have of something, where, where things are, and you have flows, which is the movement of those things between uh, different areas. So for example, if, if you're in a household and you have a certain stock of toilet paper, um, you might be like, well, we've got a stock of five rolls of toilet paper, but we're using two, two rolls per day and we're not going shopping until next week, so, so we're, we're in trouble and in, in our toilet paper stocks are, are looking critically low. Um, whereas you might only have two rolls of toilet paper, but if you're only using half a roll a day, then you know, you'll be fine. Or, or if you shop every day at the co-op and you can just replenish your, your toilet paper supply. So this notion of stocks and flows allows us to think about a bigger picture than just looking at what we have or just looking at what's moving. We think about stocks and flows and we can start to look more closely at trends and, and we'll get back to this when we start thinking about trade balance and the flows of money and goods on and off the island. Um, and aside from toilet paper, which is slightly, possibly a slightly trivial example. Toilet paper is important, but you know. Um, we can also think about something like a forest where we have a stock of, of trees and, and the flows in a forest are, are slightly different than toilet paper because the trees are replenishing themselves. So there's a rate of, of natural renewal. And then if we're, say, we're a community forest and we're harvesting, then there's a flow of, of wood out of the forest. So it's again, it's a balancing stocks and flows. And then it, globally, there are stocks and flows. And this is, I think, flows of, of minerals um, and metals flowing. So Obviously, the global economy is, is about massive flows of resources and materials um, all over the world. And there, there are odd things about that. One of the things that, if we're thinking about flows of material, there's almost always a flow of material in one direction. And in the other direction, there's a flow of this strange thing that we call money. And Money, the closer you look at money, the more bizarre and, and inscrutable it appears. We, we all think we know what money is. It seems, it seems like patently obvious. But if you look at uh, what the role that money actually plays in the economy and how it's created, why money exists the way it exists, and what, what the nature of the money systems that we have does to the, does to the drivers for economic activity, it starts to make a little more sense out of why the global economy does what it does. 
So I'm not going to go into detail about money at the moment. I'm, I'm hoping to convince Amanda that we could do an entire session just on money. Yes. That's, that's, how, that's how much I like to geek about, about monetary systems. And in that session, we'll also talk about local currencies much more than I'll be able to do today. So good. We'll consider that booked, just a matter of, of scheduling it. And so money, is, money that we use is based on debt. It, it is created when loans are given and has to be repaid with interest. This, this very, very short form means that economic growth is demanded. There are two options. You can the, the economy can grow, or it can it can collapse, or have crisis where you have um, we have default on loans, essentially, which drives a, a kind of of cancerous behavior within the global economic system or within national economic systems. Um, but money is also really powerful. Like it it has enabled some totally extraordinary things in terms of uh, specialization, in terms of trade, in terms of like this, this pen or, or this computer is made out of pieces that come from all over the world that are, that are manufactured by people who never see each other, don't know each other, don't speak the same languages. And it's money that, that's the, this kind of strange um, interlinking force that connects these pieces together and allows them to come together into a computer that, that works um, some of the time. Now, I shouldn't really talk about this computer and working, but in principle, <laughs> computers work. Um, this one has certain issues, but we get along okay most of the time. Um, so money is also really easy to measure. We, we tend to manage what we can measure. Um, and economics has taken money as the primary thing that's measurable. And units of other, other kinds of resources are ten, tend to be measured in units of money. And then humans, which interact with money, are also reduced to, to the, the rational actor model of, of an economic agent, where, where we, are, we are considered to be sort of greedy points on, on, a, on a map, and what we're trying to do is maximize our utility. So we, we like to buy more and more things, we like to earn as much money as we can, um, anything that can't be measured in monetary terms is probably not valuable, so we'll just forget about that. And the result is that the global, global economy behaves in ways that don't necessarily support the well-being of us as whole humans, rather than as the homo economicus rational actors that are what's embedded in the formulas of economics. Um, so, the, so the primacy of money and this reduction of humans into economic agents leads to quite warped behavior of an economy and negligence of the, the other kinds of stocks and flows that allow us to live. So we, I think we're all familiar with the impacts of this. Um, or impacts of this and other things in terms of um, climate change and loneliness and isolation and species and, and habitat loss and the, the, the impact of this model of managing a household writ large onto the world. And one of the other impacts is inequality. I'm not going to go into much detail on any of these things because I think we're all 
familiar with it, but as of last year, 26 people own the same amount as the 3.8 billion people who make up the bottom economic bottom half of the population of the planet. There are, of course, massive ecological impacts. This is a this is a uh, Google satellite image from right near Comox. So a lot of Vancouver Island looks like that, and that's another. This is another result of what is measured and valued in our global economic system. So if we were looking at the global economy as the management of a household, how well would it be doing? How well would it be doing in managing the household of the planet? So on Cortez, we, we're, we're sort of a, we're sort of an oasis. I think a lot of people come here um, kind of to, to escape the, the madness of what conventional economics and, and other parts of society has wrought in other parts of the world or in urban areas. Um, but in this day and age, you can't really do that. If we were, if this was a few hundred years ago and we're living on a small island, we might not need to be aware of the global economy. We might, as long as we were producing or accessing the things that we needed to live, um, we weren't being invaded by neighbors or, or, or sort of psychopaths from foreign countries in large ships. Um, we, we'd be good, but the, it's not really the case today. Um, and the next little chunk is about looking at Cortez in relation to the global economy and what, what does this mean for what it's like to live here. And most of that's about practical things, but I also just want to say that, that another relationship to the global economy is the, is the ethics of it. Like on Cortez, we like to be, I think in most cases, we like to think of ourselves as green, as, as, as kind of socially caring, um, but if the money that, that allows us to live comes from extractive industries and, uh, and things that are parasitic on the global economy that's kind of demolishing the planet, then we're not really free from it. So Cortez, so how are we, how are we doing here? Um, first off, we're, we're doing amazingly well. Like we are, we're super privileged to live on Cortez for the most part. This is a website called the Global Rich List. Um, you can enter your income and, and it'll show you in relation to the rest of the population of the planet, where do you sit? And if you're, if you're from Cortez and you think you're pretty poor and, and you're gonna be somewhere in the bottom, some deciles, it doesn't really turn out to be the case. So I entered the, the median income for Cortez, which is about 20,000. And this is where we end up in the global picture. So we're in the top, median income for Cortez is in the top 6% of the world. Um, so we're doing pretty well economically in the bigger picture. And we also have uh, extraordinary levels of, of well-being and the kind of environment that we get to live in, um, the community that we live in. So some of this, some of what I'm talking about is, is gloomy in the sense that I'm looking at things that I think we need to pay attention to so that we can so that we can stay ahead of the curve, but I think it's important also to be grateful and recognize that we're, we're doing pretty well. We're, we're lucky. 
And that, that also get, gives us, puts a kind of responsibility on us. So for Cortez, the global economy obviously has some, a lot of pretty advantageous um, effects. We can buy things from all over the world. We can use computers. We can sell things all over the world. I'm working for clients in several different countries and continents from my tiny little tiny home on Cortez. Um, we're, we're comparatively wealthy, partly because of the global economy and, and the money flows that come to Cortez. So I'm going to look at more at some of the, the issues with it, but I, I don't want to ignore the fact that we are, we are benefiting from it. We are privileged also to, to live in the times that we live in. Um, so I'm going to particularly look at a few impacts that, that the global picture has that we can't really, that, that, are, that are sort of un, unavoidable, that we need to take, we would need to take a very intentional approach to avoid the impact because we are integrated with the global economy, whether we like it or not. Um, and one of those is prices. In a market economy, prices are set by supply and demand. And that includes prices for land. Um, and this is, this is extreme. So this is housing prices in, in Vancouver on the bottom right and Victoria on the left. Since This is since um, 1960, and this one I think is since 1970. That's a fairly extreme increase. Is that inflation-corrected? This one is, the Victoria is inflation-corrected. This one, I don't know. This is $19.98, the Victoria one. But regardless, the, the, the degree of increase would, it would probably flatten, it would probably make the curve more linear, but it wouldn't really change the absolute difference by much. Um, so this is this is impacting Cortez. This is the this is the prices in British Columbia overall, just in the last ten years approximately, or the the census interval between 2005 and 2015. Residential home cost on the left and median income on the right. So, average residential home cost on the left. Yeah, for the province. Which is astonishing given that there's like maybe if you count in Iowa three major urban centers in the entire province. Yeah, uh, that's so where a lot of the more expensive houses are. But for BC, is seventy thousand a year. Yeah. But for Cortez, it's about twenty thousand. Yeah. This the the way that the medium. I, I'm not totally confident that those two numbers are comparable. I think that one is family income. Yeah, you're probably right. It's, this is probably household income. Yeah. Yeah, the, the comparable numbers for Cortez are, you'll see them in a minute, but they're, it's not 70,000. You represent income, not wealth, right? This is the change in, this is just illustrating the difference between the change in prices and the change in income. And it gets more detailed when we go to Cortez. So this is Cortez information. Cortez versus British Columbia. So on the right is, on this whole next series of charts, the light color is, is British Columbia and the darker color is Cortez. So this is median total income of households. 
So Cortez is approximately half of what the prov provincial average is. No, just area B. So these numbers are the census numbers. Unfortunately, the economic data for Cortez is, is hard to come by. Basically, we have the census, um, and there's not much else. And the census is, is uh, there's a long gap between censuses, and the information that they collect is not very detailed. Um, is, is there a rough like, um, estimate of what, of how uh, accurate the census data is? I haven't seen it. I but think it they, like they go to a pretty... Very likely that it's not. That it's not capturing everything. Capturing everything. Yeah. Yeah, especially certain portions of... What percentage of, is not being captured? Like, is that 25% or is it just 5%? Well, yeah. Well, and like Hazel was saying, on Cortez, there's yeah. an informal economy that's not... And, and in the LEAP surveys, there was some effort to try and get an assessment of this. And it wasn't... I wouldn't say that it was particularly reliable, um, but one thing that did come out was that a lot of volunteering happens on Cortez. And if you measure that, if you take that number of hours and put a, a dollar figure on it, say at $25 an hour, 24 I think is what they used, um, it worked out to about $1.5 million worth of volunteering per year on Cortez. So there are big parts of this, that big parts of our economy that aren't measured by economic statistics. Um, but just on this as well, the, so this is roughly the, the same picture that we were just looking at, but in more detail, by decile. So this on the left is the bottom 10% decile, I believe, over the national census. And then this is the top decile on the right. So the light color this is... the income? Income, yeah. So you can see that Cortez is heavily skewed towards the low income end of the income spectrum. Whereas the province overall is quite close to national averages. So, I mean, sorry, I just want to spend another second here. So basically, this is just showing that we have a greater um, income disparity than the province. Um, it's showing that we have lower income. Uh -huh. It doesn't show income dispar disparity per se um, because we're not, seeing, we're not seeing a curve like this for uh -huh. Cortez. We're not seeing that we're higher in the, in the, high, in the high income as opposed to the middle income. We're just seeing that we have, and I guess there is, there is a bit of a curve um, like compared to linear, and it does flatten out towards the high income end for Cortez. So in a sense, in a sense you're right. Um, like the ninth decile compared to yeah. the, the seventh. Um, and I think it, it went in the, I don't have it in here, but in the LEAP survey, it did definitely come out that we have this kind of bulge toward the low end and then a pretty significant chunk on the high net worth end mm -hmm. on Cortez, mm -hmm. which is kind of, it's, it's like inequality overall is a liability for a, for a society. 
um, having wealthy people on the island is also an asset of a sort uh, that we can that we can tap into for if we can get that aligned with what as a community we we'd like to see happen. Sorry, I'm just drilling one step. Yeah. So, but this then, what we're not capturing on top of all the other things we're not capturing are the people who um, claim some other place as their primary residence. So yes. people who are here for, say, five months of the summer, et cetera, are most likely all their data is going in for a different community. For the census, yeah. Uh -huh. For LEAP, there were two surveys. Uh -huh. um, and, they, and there were some, there were economic data was collected on income. Um, and it mostly matched what the census said, but there's a little, I've got a couple of things here uh, that, are, that are related to that, not in, again, not in a lot of detail. Um, but this, this combination of low income and rising costs, housing costs, has demographic impacts. Um, and some of them were, were highlighted in elite report, stuff pulled out, mostly pulled out of census data again. Um, but the school age population is has it dropped by a, like almost fifty percent between twenty oh six and twenty sixteen. Um, proportion of dwellings occupied by non permanent residents increased. Median age went up by something like seven seven years in that ten year period, um, and the proportion of people over sixty five increased from ten percent to. 28%, and the number of people in the working age bracket went down. So if we look at this as a trend, and look at the trend in housing prices, and we look at the trend, trends in income, and then we look at climate change, and the increasing desirability as large chunks of of the rest of North America become vulnerable to drought and fire that we've, which we've seen already in California and other parts of BC and, and now Australia is, is in flames. The demand for living in places like Cortez is not likely to go down. So the, the thing that I take from these kinds of statistics is that if we want to maintain the culture that we have on the island and if we want to Continue if we want to. If we want to, to be able to be, the the sort of oasis, or if we want to be able to, to, live the lives that we have come to Cortez to live, then we need to be very intentional, about addressing this situation, and the the options that we have for that are limited, because when we're linked to the global economy, we can't we can't control supply and demand. There's, there's only so much land on Cortez. And we, have the, we can do things like rezoning, we can build affordable housing, which, which helps, but the, the difference in scale between the demand that exists in the world, Cortez is known, I've been in, in places in Europe, I mentioned Cortez, and there'll be someone in the room who's been to Cortez. There's somebody whose friend has been to Cortez. We're known all over the world. The demand for places like Cortez is high and rising, and the amount of land that we have on Cortez is fixed. So we're going to have to be very clever about sorting this out if we want to, to not, be, not have this lever 
change the island in ways that we probably wouldn't appreciate. So just a little, a little bit more about this. Um, LEAP survey included satisfaction with economic situation. Not surprisingly, those who, those who had, were making more money were more satisfied with their economic situation. It's kind of uh, a, a not terribly exciting result. But, but the lowest satisfaction included young people, 25 years old and younger, renters, and those with children, 18 years or younger. So this is also, in a sense, not surprising, because those are the demographics probably that have the most economic stress generally. But if we're thinking about the island and how do we, how do we prevent it, how do we prevent the, the, the economic trends that we're seeing, for example, in the last slide, from impacting us, this is one of the areas where we need to put some attention, because if we're, if we're hoping to retain young people and if we're hoping to to have this be a place where families can, you know, where people can raise kids um, and people can find work that's fulfilling and will meet their economic needs, then these people who are, who are unsatisfied with economic opportunities on Cortez are some that we need to be thinking about. And one other final thing about global economic impacts. Um, The rapid burn down of millennia worth of fossil fuels is a sort of subsidy on production and transport. And one of the impacts of this for thinking about local economics is that prices for things that we could attempt to produce on the island are artificially low. That somebody did it. Somebody did a, a sort of slightly macabre comparison that the amount that we're burning in fossil fuels is equivalent to every person in the Western world having like eight slaves or something. And that's what we have to compete with if we're trying to do things right on Cortez. So if we're trying to grow food locally, and if we're trying to process food locally, if we're trying to do local manufacturing, if we're trying to make our own clothing that's not being, you know, that's not coming from sweatshops in Thailand and being shipped on container ships, we are competing with a global economic system that is subsidized by cheap fossil energy that's been sitting in the ground for a millennia. So again, if we want to, if we want to do this, we have to be more intentional about it. We have to find ways that we can trick the system into meeting our needs rather than assuming that just being in the market will allow us to compete effectively. And with, again, with, with low economic, like with, with, a, with a somewhat anemic economy on Cortez or with low income, that makes it that much harder to shift our consumption to things that are local and that are, that are supporting our local production. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. Because if we can't afford to buy locally, we also can't afford to support our economy, which will support us to buy locally. And then the third impact that I wanted to mention is instability. Um, we know from 2008 that, that Cortez is quite vulnerable to larger economic trends and forces. Because when the economy tanks, we're the, the huge 
flow of money that comes to the island through tourism tends to shrink quite quickly. We're an expensive destination because we're a long ways from urban centers. If people are hurting financially, they will tend to go to somewhere that's not three ferries from Vancouver and a, a day's travel or float plane, float plane rides. <coughs> so after 2008, Cortez was in trouble financially, and that's when the whole Cortez Island Business and Tourism Association got rolling to try and inflate the tourism sector again, which had, which had sort of gone off like a balloon that lost its air. I think anyone that's looking at things like climate change, 2008 was probably pretty mild compared to what the kinds of instability that are likely on the horizon. And I don't, I don't really, like, I prefer not to be gloomy and doomy, and I think there are enough people on Cortez who are looking at this closely enough at this point that, that I don't really need to talk about it. But the IPCC report saying that we have 12 years before we're, we're past the tipping point and into like, a, a disastrous scenario, and then folks like Jen Bendall and the deep adaptation movement where they're saying we are already past that point, that, that societally we're, we've crossed the tipping point and, and things are going to get rough. When was um, the report that said 12 years? That was the IPCC's um, main, like they, I think they do an annual report. I think that was last year sometime. It was um, in the autumn, like September or October or something like yeah. that. September, October 2019 or 2018? 2019. Yeah. It was the most recent. Yeah, it got a bunch of press. Um, so just to say that the, the global financial system can't entirely be relied upon. And that if we, if we want to be proactive, we would think about what, what can we do on Cortez that gives us a certain amount of autonomy from that. And how can we start to buffer ourselves from being flapped around by, by economic... Uh, vicissitudes occurring elsewhere due to other forces that are well beyond our control. So I've, I've come to this term of economic sovereignty to describe that bringing home our economic uh, activity so that we can, we can start to be resilient, we can start to make our own decisions about what kind of economy we want rather than just being kind of a limpet on Vancouver and Victoria and the rest of the, the economy that, that, that sort of sloshes into Cortez on the summer and then in the summer and we kind of collect a piece of it and then it sloshes off again in the winter. Um, so what could we do to, to become, our own eco become our own economy, to be, to be our, own, our own household that can make choices about um, what we what kind of economy we want. Um, yeah. The, in, unless we take a proactive approach, uh, we can't really keep the uh, impacts of the global economy at bay. Um, and we also can't, it, it also takes, going to take intentionality to be the kind of oasis or example or, or uh, hub of solutions that we could be for the rest of the world that's going to be looking at you know, 
or is looking at what, you know, how can we do this differently? What's a, what's a version of economics that will work? What's a version of, of food production or, or education or take any sector? And there are seeds of alternatives on Cortez that provided the right conditions will grow into something that we can share with places outside of the island. Um, and I think the demand for that is only going to increase. But in order to do this, we also have to look at money flows because money is kind of the blood that, that runs an economy at this point, And we need to take a look at it, even if it's kind of ugly. Um, so this takes us through kind of those first three sections of what, is, what are some fundamentals, what are, what's some things about the global economy that seem relevant to look at, how does that interact with this, this linkage to our Cortez economics? And then now, what, a, what could we look at and how could we look at it and what could we do to try and bring the economy home? Um, and I'll talk a, a bit about CEDA, the Cortez Community Economic Development Association, which is just getting rolling on a very ambitious mandate to help us uh, do things about all this. So in my, uh, in my thinking about the island's economy, I think there's three pieces that are worth looking at. One is on-island circulation. So what, could we, what can we do to, to have economic flows and activity on the island that, that are doing the things that we want them to do? How can we be having transactions amongst ourselves? Number two, how can we bring money to the island in ways that we want money to come to the island? And that means that the money, the flow of money, is reciprocal to a flow of what we want to be offering the world. And that may not be a sandy beach at Hague Lake. It may not be a cabin to come to for two weeks that we will clean afterward. It might be products that we're, that we're making or it might be education about, uh, yeah, <laughs> it might be talks at one day. I don't really see a lot of off-island economic flow coming for this dog, but you know, it could happen. Um, so to start thinking in that way about what do we want, so this number two, Money flowing to the island, what is the flow that goes the opposite way to what we want to be producing and offering to the world? And number three, how do we stop the money flowing off the island? <laughs> <laughs> because these three pieces are, are sort of the, the essentials of economic thriving locally. And it's pretty simple when you start looking at things like, like trade balance at, at the national level, this, is, this gets a lot of attention because if you have goods and services coming into your economy and money flowing out, stocks and flows, the net effect is that your economy is going to be, the, the supply of your medium of exchange will be reduced over time. You'll have the purchasing power will go down. Um, so it's the same thing on Cortez. We don't have a good way of tracking that, but we, we do know, it's pretty simple, that the effect, economic effect on the island of purchasing something on island rather than off island 
is the same as if we were producing something off-island, on-island, and selling it off-island. So we need to put as much intention, attention into... Sorry. Let me just say that, that, that sentence again. The, the, the economic effect is the same between doing what we think of for economic development, like make something on the island and sell it off the island. Great. Goods go off, money comes on. But the impact of that on the economy locally is, is the same as if we didn't sell anything off the island. We just made something on the island and stopped buying something from elsewhere because that's replacing, it's replacing this flow of goods onto the island, money off the island. And I think for, for a holistic approach to economic development where we're thinking about the household of the island rather than just looking at money and how do we get more of it, um, we need to be thinking as much about what are the purchases that we're bringing to the island where, that, that's causing money to flow off the island that we can replace locally. We need to be thinking about that equivalently to thinking about what can we produce on, on the island that we can sell off the island. And then there's circulation. Um, and the circulation piece is a little bit, it's a little bit obscure how it actually helps in some ways. Um, but the, the effect of the monetary system that we have is that money is scarce. There's not really a reason when you think about it that money should be scarce. It, it's, it has the advantage of being liquid. We can, we can convert money into almost anything else. But there's this kind of perpetual um, imbalance between the scarcity of money and the, things, and the abundance of the things that we want to trade money for. Not, not universally, but by and large. And it's partly because money is money that we have has debt attached to it and it has interest attached to it. So it's always wanting to be paid back to a bank somewhere, whereupon it disappears. Is that a generality? What that, you said? that is generality about money. Okay. Yeah. That's how the money system works. It's, okay. it's At least in North America. Right. In all of the Western... Uh, Western economies, as far as I know, it's essentially the same. Um, but when you when when money is spent on island and it can circulate, you have you have liquidity on island. You have the medium medium of exchange. And there's been some interesting things. I was on the phone with a guy who's in the alternative, like uh, local economy cryptocurrency world, right now. Actually, it's the same fellow who was here. Yeah. So. The Red Cross has recently discovered that instead of giving services, they can be more efficient if they just fund local people to do things. But then they discovered that they can be much more efficient than that if instead of funding local people in national currencies, if they just dump money into a local currency, a local digital currency, they will get... The, the figure that he said is that they'd realized that it was seven to ten times as effective in measurable local outcomes because once the money is in there, then it was circulating and it provided a liquid medium of exchange that was non-scarce within that local economy. As opposed to having, say, foreign currency foreign that has to be exchanged or then the person that brings it in has to buy the supplies or buy well, the Well, the thing that happens, it's, it's, it would be the local currency. It would be the local national currency. So it would be like if the Red Cross gave Canadian dollars to us to do something. Right. But the thing is that once it's spent, 
on the thing that they've funded, then it goes back out into the rest of the economy. Whereas if they fund the local currency, it can be spent into a local economy that's inherently circular. But it can't. That will it continue. Can't, it can't go out. Yeah, it can't. So it, 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 it perforce, it cuts this flow out of the system. There are a lot of examples of interesting ways that local currencies can be used to specifically target outcomes that are desired by making, pre-arranging that the, the, the economic circuit will be there. So that I can arrange that I will uh, fund people for health services by giving them tokens or giving them a currency that's for health. Mm -hmm. And I've already arranged that the health providers will accept them. And then once they've, accept, once they've accepted them, they can be spent back into the economy as more health tokens. They can be exchanged for money or for whatever, for other goods and services, and then they, and then they can keep circulating. Okay, so uh, one of the flaws with economics conventionally is this dodgy um, assumption that money and happiness are sort of interchangeable. But they're like objectively as measured by by uh, psychologists and grandmothers since <laughs> eternity probably um, it's not a, it's not an accurate equation. But particularly on Cortez, I think it's important that we keep this in mind because many of the things that that we value here are non-economic; they're non-monetary, and we need to be optimizing for those things while we're keeping an eye on our finances to try and give us the, the sovereignty, sovereignty to be able to optimize these things. So as a community economic development person and group at CETA, we're thinking about this and, and puzzling over it um, because things like gifts and exchange and volunteering are part of what makes a place like Cortez worthwhile. And they're also part of what's to some extent threatened by external economic forces. So we need to keep these in mind um, and learn how to measure and value them somehow, or at least value them. Maybe we don't need to measure them. Maybe we can just lay that aside. Um, but prioritizing well-being over economic wealth is, is one, of the, one of the places where we can diverge from the global economy and do something that's appropriate to place. So in the world at large, there's a high and rising appreciation for the challenges that we're facing as a, as a planet and a species and a, a big impetus to shift from conventional kinds of economic economic activity and resource extraction and production and consumption to something that's more regenerative, that's more holistic. And as an island, if we're starting to think about what is the economy we want, what do we want to be offering the world in exchange for the, the sustenance um, that we need to live, we can choose to aim for the providing things to the global economy as it is 
or thinking about where is it going and how can we position ourselves to be providing the things that people who are paying attention will be looking for in the future or where where kind of the where the cutting edge is in terms of doing doing a better job of of living in relation to the planet so my what i've been hammering on at, at every opportunity since i heard that somebody was thinking about economics on the island is that we need to be looking towards the regenerative end we need to be looking at where is the world going in terms of best practices and make ourselves a provider of those to make our to make our economy be an example of where economies elsewhere are moving or could be or should be moving towards um, and this has the effect of being better for us economically because we're we're getting a jump on um, on competitive market but also it's where it's it's what will make our local economy fulfilling because it's where being holistic and, and regenerative solutions, meaning that we're dealing with social and economic and ecological um, needs as a piece, rather than saying we need money and what are we going to do to get it? Or, and then we'll have an, a different service that's for dealing with depressed people and, and so forth, and we'll have somebody else that's thinking about ecology and how do we manage our, our natural resources. But if we think about these holistically, we can be solving a whole lot of problems at once and at the same time positioning ourselves to be providing the solutions that are needed it's to other places. All the stupid things I can think of to think about Is there anything that could really bring this is Folk University on CKTZ. Learn more at folku.ca or join us for a Folk U Friday talk every Friday during the academic year, 1 p.m. at Linnea's Sunlit Room. Folk University, the only university where you are faculty, student, and sometimes garbage collector. For making lots of money and lots of things to say that only I think are funny. I got yesterday's lunch and today's sore tummy. Tomorrow's diet, but oh boy, it was yummy. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring? My, my, I'm back to my senses